Hey guys, happy Women's Day. This is Women's Day special episode and before we begin, I just wanted to thank you all for tuning in. The response which I'm getting for this show is overwhelming and the listenership is growing every single day. I'm so glad I'm able to bring these stories to you and I'm so glad that you guys are loving it. The only reason why I started this podcast was because there was a dearth of such stories in my own life. When a young woman in India is looking for women to look up to for inspiration, they can feel quite far. You can only see where they are but not how they got there. There's a gap there. And I wanted this podcast to help fill a little bit of that gap. So when another young woman like me is looking for female leaders to look up to, she doesn't have to look that far. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey everyone, I'm Swati Rawat and welcome to the Visionary Podcast where I talk to visionary Indian women with inspiring, intriguing and aspirational stories. In 17th episode, the visionary is Swati Rastigi, Human Resource Director at Amazon. In this Women's Day special episode, Swati and I talk about inclusion and diversity at workplace. Swati shares her personal journey and talks about Amazon India's carefully curated initiatives which are creating employment opportunities for women from diverse backgrounds. Tune in as Swati Rastigi shares her thoughts on measures that people can take to encourage inclusion and diversity in their workplace. So I was, I'm, a, I'm a Mumbai girl, um, born and brought up in Mumbai, hmm. um, in suburbs of Mumbai. Hmm. Um, I have a, you know, I have a younger sister who's almost about eight years younger to me. So nuclear family, parents yeah. and the two of us growing up. Yeah. Um, grew up with parents who were very keen on education. Um, you know, a typical lower middle class family, very keen on education, hmm. very strapped on income. Uh, and therefore a lot of focus saying the way to, uh, way to, get out of this type of life and have aspire for something better or the means is really education. Mm. Um, and um, I also had parents who were really very supportive of, um, of me exploring who I wanted to be. And I've, you know, as I've grown older and reflected back on my childhood, I've realized that they had very different approaches to both of us as sisters and mm. um, in some ways not very directive, but letting us each blossom our own way. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I, I was someone who like, was completely, you know, more at home outside the house than inside the house. And they were perfectly okay with that. Yeah. Um, I remember very vaguely those snippets of conversation where my relatives would um, actually kind of in some ways admonish my parents saying you're giving her too much freedom and, uh, you know, you're going to kind of rue the day, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and there could be big risks with this. <laughs> um, I remember going to uh, you know, college early in the morning and coming back only late night. I started working uh, when I was almost 15 uh, years old by starting to take classes, uh, you know, do, uh, doing tuitions, actually teaching in classes, um, the typical competitive classes that you have for class 10 and then later uh, further on. Yeah. And, and it was quite interesting. I mean, they never really stopped me. Uh, they didn't ask me to do it. It's not that they were ever touching anything that I made out of it, but they were letting me do it. And they were letting me explore who I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, and that built a whole sense of independence and um, you know confidence in me, which was of a very different nature because you were interacting with different people. Yeah. You were working out your commercials yourself. Um, and it really, really helped me. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing they always did was let me... 
um, you know, let me really do some crazy things. I remember when I was about 16 years of age going on a long trip and it was almost close to uh, 40 days uh, where I went with a group called Moruria Moment uh, to very remote parts of India, including mm -hmm. the Northeast. And at that time, going to the Northeast meant like uh, five days by train um, just to get there. Um, and I, I still remember very much the debate at, and in the larger family saying, is this the right thing uh, for me to be doing uh, at 16 years of age, going with complete strangers into a part of India, which is extremely remote, very hard to connect. And what would I be doing there? Yeah. Uh, and I had some very interesting experience because it was about connecting with youth there, and, uh, you know, connecting with social movements there. Um, and I think what it did for me was taught me that life is a lot about, uh, so if I thought I didn't have privilege, I knew what lack of privilege really meant, mm. uh, you know, working with some of these social groups. Yeah. And I suddenly started to value the sheer amount of privilege I had, which was simply access to two meals a day and um, access to education, which itself is so very hard for girls and for women uh, across the country. Yeah. Uh, and that made me really uh, start thinking about, uh, you know, how I looked at my own life um, and how did I want to shape it and what did I want to do and how do I constantly think about this as a real issue for India uh, consistently as, as I start to work and as I start to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. And you had this experience fairly young in your life, right? You said that you yes. were only 16 at that time. Yes. Yes. That Did that somehow affect your uh, decision in terms of what do you want to study, where do you want to lead your life and your career? Uh, I must actually uh, say it did It did to some extent. So, you know, uh, like any young girl, had uh, these uh, huge aspirations saying, I'm going to transform the whole world and, yeah. uh, you know, do something really big. Uh, so I decided I would study for competitive exams and try and do my administrative services. I must mm -hmm. also tell you, I, I took the easy way out because, uh, I, you know, I just finished my graduation and uh, I was starting to prepare for my administrative services. Okay. And I ended up going to Tata Institute of Social Sciences primarily as an experience saying, you know, hey, the interview process, et cetera, will help me prepare. I hadn't actually applied for any other MBA school, right? So I hadn't oh, given wow. my cat. I hadn't applied to any other MBA school. Just yeah. I simply went because somebody told me that the way, you know, it's very social sciences driven. The interview process is very different. You will you will learn something out of it. Hmm. Uh, and I'm a Tata scholar. I'm a Dora Tata scholar. So you oh, know, the, my mentor from the uh, Tata Trust also said, you should try, you should go. Uh, and I went there. And, uh, you know, I, I got admissions the next day morning, the list said, you know, you're invited to join the batch and the batch was all of 20 people. Um, mm -hmm. And at that point, I must say I made one of those decisions in my life, which I look back uh, at today as a compromise decision, mm -hmm. uh, because it was about saying, okay, I can do this. And in two years, I will be making money and decent amount of money. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a lower middle class family, that does matter, right? So you, yeah. you are independent. You're no longer a burden to your parents and you can actually contribute back at home. So um, I decided that administrative services is a big risk. I don't know where it will go, when it will happen. Yeah. Um, and I just took the easy way out by doing my TISS. And um, I've not regretted it. I think I've, I've learned a lot in life and I what that school taught me and gave me um, has shaped me tremendously. Yeah. Having said that, it's one decision that in my life I know I made a very serious compromise on and I didn't look back. Yeah, yeah. And um, right after that, I believe you started working. And um, I think you straight away dove into human resources, right? Was there any particular reason why you wanted to get into this particular um, specialization in this particular field? 
I truly felt that it was one way, um, it was closest link for me to contribution uh, from a societal point of view. I mean, there are multiple ways one can contribute. And um, for me, uh, HR uh, has always been an area of uh, interest and excitement. Mm. So I have done stints outside of human resources as a part of my career, but I've always come back out of choice to HR as a function uh, because I find that my heart lies here. Yeah. I don't see it as a function, incidentally, you know, so I've not done this for the reasons that, that I often hear people talk about saying, oh, am I good with people or do I like yeah. talking to people or interested in them? Actually, not at all. Uh, for me, actually, HR is all about designing experiences. That's the way I look at it. It's about um, designing equity in experiences. It's at the same time about designing uh, opportunities for those at the edge, both at the top edge and at the bottom edge, um, to shine and um, you know to uh, to be able to become part of something bigger. Uh, so for me, it's it's always been about that. It's been about design thinking. It's been about um, uh, putting systems and mechanisms in place at scale uh, to deliver experiences to people, uh, and that's what's uh, been exciting for me. The other thing, I think naturally by uh, the role, it gives me an opportunity to constantly do work with communities hmm. of different type, whether or not part of the workforce. Hmm. Uh, and that keeps me really excited about being part of this function. Yeah, yeah. So um, before you joined Amazon, um, I believe you and I were having the conversation earlier that you had worked towards um, inclusivity and empowerment too. So let's talk about that. What was it? So it's a long bag. So, uh, you know, as I said, for me, getting into human resources was about societal change. So even in my first job ever, when I got my first posting and I was in a place called Mangalore, yeah. um, and my husband's been very supportive of me as well. He he has the same ideals and we, we uh, you know, we believe in the same things. Yeah. Um, and, and I was very lucky to work for an organization who was also extremely supportive with, with those ideas. Uh, and together with the organization and my husband and me, we actually worked with um, a local NGO called Gyantrapodhini. Uh, to set up a, a kind of a, a school come uh, a shelter uh, for uh, children who are rescued from mines. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was something that touched our hearts and we really felt very strongly about it. And I still remember both of us going there on weekends and, you know, participating. And it was a very small shelter to begin with and helping them find funding. And my own organization was helping with the funding, but it also required personal funding, helping them find other funds, how to get them sustainable. Yeah. Um, and it's always been a place we've gone back to, right, multiple times, um, you know, even when we're not working there anymore, because it could continues to be very close to our hearts. And again, as I said, every time these instances in my life, various ones that I've been a part of, they simply constantly serve as a great reminder of the privilege that some of us have. Mm. Um, and uh, how can we share that and make others part of that privilege of, of just living life with dignity and living life with some amount of security? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what you're doing now, Swati. Because I have read uh, a lot about what Amazon is doing with its initiatives and uh, Amazon India has rolled out many initiatives to build an inclusive workforce. you know, one thing which is very important for anyone who, who believes in working for communities or with communities or with inclusion as a topic is to work for the right organizations as well. One, what you do in your personal capacity, of course, is, is what you own. Mm. Um, but I'm very blessed and I'm very privileged to work for an organization like Amazon who 
truly believes in, in inclusion in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether it's about inclusion in terms of our existing workforce and um, making sure that we, um, you know, we provide for opportunities uh, of, of diverse, diversity of even opinion. So mm-hmm. for example, one of our leadership principles talks about saying, uh, do you respect diversity of opinion and do you always seek diverse perspectives before you make decisions? And mm-hmm. because that really makes your decision better. So that's really where it stems from. It's at the very heart of the company in terms of what we stand for as leaders in this organization. Uh, Saying, do you truly, are you truly inclusive? Do you truly respect diversity in thought, in ideas? And then of course, diversity in gender and and multiple other ways, right? Uh, So for us, what we've been doing on uh, diversity and inclusion has has multiple lenses to it. So one is purely on diversity is to identify what are the, um, you know, what are various groups of um, of community uh, that we want to make sure are represented in our workforce. So one of course is gender. Yeah. Uh, being in the logistics sector, it's, it's, it requires a lot of effort and energy, uh, which you have to do very consciously uh, to make sure that women can feel part of this kind of a workforce and be included. Um, mm. I'm not just talking of managerial roles, but even on the field and in actual roles on the ground saying, how do you really create that environment where women feel comfortable coming to workplace? And yeah. we've done a lot of work around that. Uh, the second is even uh, you know where we actually work in those societies to make sure that the communities around us, there the women feel, uh, you know uh, whether or not they choose to work with us in Amazon, uh, but how do we still work with them? Uh, in multiple ways to ensure that they can participate uh, in their own capacity in the workforces. So through our community centers, uh, you know, training them on vocational skills so they can actually become entrepreneurs and start earning a livelihood. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's the second piece that we do. Uh, The third piece uh, that we've done on uh, on diversity is working with people with disabilities. And that's something that's very close to our heart um, as an organization. We started working three years back with uh, people with disabilities. uh, And uh, this is primarily we started our our journey with people who have hearing and speech impairment. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, we made sure that we had multiple ways of engaging with them, either in our buildings, which is in our fulfillment centers, as well as in our delivery network. Uh, We're now very proud that we actually have uh, silent stations, we have silent buildings. Um, It's not just about making sure that, uh, you know, people with disabilities could be a part of our workforce, but our workforce, our existing workforce has also transformed itself to welcome uh, people with disabilities. A lot of our managers now speak the sign language themselves. Uh, We're constantly trying to evolve saying, how do we engage? You know, we, when we do a new year message, um, I had a couple of leaders, uh, you know, with me who actually gave out a complete thank you messaging post, um, you know, our Diwali uh, uh, art event, actually just to say thank you to people with disabilities in their language. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think there's a lot of effort that goes into including and not just in making sure that we have diverse populations. Um, We've done in terms of diverse population, in terms of people with orthopedic disabilities, um, acid attack victims, we're now uh, actively engaged in two pilots. One is around transgender and the other is around young adults with learning disabilities and seeing how we could incorporate them into our workforce. So Hmm. um, I think these are things which are close to our heart and we do them because they're right. Hmm. Um, And we believe that, you know, any representation of our workforce should be representation of the community in India. So hmm. these groups exist in the world outside and they should be equally represented inside okay. our workforce and inside hmm. our own 
uh, workplaces because uh, that's when then you're designing solutions for customers which are also inclusive because you work with people you see how how they uh, interact or they feel about how they're doing things or about products or their buying behavior as well so i think mm-hmm. um, it's something we're very very conscious of and we do this just because it's the right thing to do yeah um what i'm interested to know is that um when you talk about inclusion it also comes with its own challenges so like how amazon india has they have women only delivery stations now when you set up um something like that it comes with the challenges of how do you keep these women safe like if it's if they're going to a place where it's a little secluded or if they're working late at night so then how do you deal with these challenges that comes alongside with having an inclusive policy yeah uh i think uh, safety to us is very basic i mean i i wouldn't even uh, go into saying that that's something we need to do for inclusion uh, mm-hmm. you know irrespective of gender i think safety is something we would be very conscious of in our workplaces for anybody who works for mm-hmm. us uh, now given the social structure in certain countries like india for example you might want to put additional investment around safety and security for uh, certain sections of the workforce including women yeah. uh, but not limited to women uh, yeah. uh, because there could be a building somewhere remote where even for men it could be very risky yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then we do definitely put together a complete safety plan for a building based on who are in the building and what are we going to do mm-hmm. um, i'm not talking of the basics like you know providing transport and stuff like that i think that's common today for any uh, large organization in india and we do that too mm-hmm. um, i think what we do beyond that is when we started getting permissions and we actively worked incidentally with with regulators to get permissions to have women in night shift because mm-hmm. we believe that's a right that they should have it should be their choice if they yeah. wish to work. Um, because we are providing the safe building so hmm. um when we did that i think we made an additional effort be- beyond providing the transport and stuff like that to actually map our own building to hmm. identify parts of the building which could tend to get isolated and therefore that we would not uh, roster women in those parts of the building okay. uh, we made sure that we would have women managers in the building at the same time as women employees so that you know they had someone to talk to even during the shifts hmm. uh, we actually made efforts and i'm very proud of my team's efforts in this is they actually went home to home to talk to parents of these young girls and women who come into the workforce to actually assure them that you know um, that that they would be safe and that yeah. it's it's probably okay for them to come to workplace and i think that those were additional investments that we made which which make me feel good mm. um because not just about you know somebody being a um, um, a rebel and trying to come to work it's about yeah. actually taking the society along and making fundamental changes in the way people think about women at yeah. workplace and I, that that's what makes me proud yeah and i just wanted to get um your own point of view what are your views on equal work opportunities and how do you believe um we can have policies in place which can make workforce more inclusive uh, i actually want to talk about my journey on this one right so i started yeah. off being quite a rebel in this area saying why should there be any special privileges for women at workplace uh, you know why uh, you are part of the workforce and if i've made it so should everybody else and mm-hmm. uh, you know they have to work hard and then it will become easier and and then over a period of time so i've been i've been working for 22 years and as i've interacted more and more with with women at workplace 
workplace and men at workplace, I began to realize that I was having a very limited point of view because, um, and, and possibly because I was blessed, you know, I, I had those right people in my life at right times in my life to, uh, to nudge me, to help me and, and perhaps just blessed, you know, sometimes life just works out. So yeah. uh, I probably didn't face those biases or that discrimination, which uh, some other women do face at workplace. And I've been very conscious, therefore, now to start um, uh, learning about uh, what it means for women at workplace. And there's been a long journey. So I'm talking of a 22 year. You know, so when I started mm-hmm. off, I did have this point of view saying, why should it be any different? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now better informed. And I realize, yes, it needs to be different because it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy for a lone woman in a room with 30 men to be heard. Uh, you know, um, and maybe I could shout 30 people down, but that should not be a natural expectation from another woman uh, at workplace. So how do you make sure that she has the opportunity to be heard, um, that her idea is not ridiculed based on her gender, but on the quality of that idea? Um, How do you make sure that you put mechanisms in place where you surface biases to people in a non-threatening manner? Uh, because most of the times, I don't think anyone sets out with an intent to belittle uh, a gender. Uh, yeah. And and I believe in good intentions. And at least in the in the kind of organizations I've worked for, I doubt we would have people who would consciously want to hurt another person, right? So yeah. uh, in most cases, it's fairly unconscious. In most cases, it's years of thinking in a certain way, and and therefore a natural reaction that happens to. Um, uh, to a diverse person at workplace. It could be a woman, it could be a PWD associate, it could be anyone. Uh, So how do you actually work and you make people more and more aware and conscious? Um, If you start doing that, I think that helps. The second is data. Uh, You know, just getting data in the room often helps decisions. We've seen that with women at workplace, uh, we've seen far better productivity, we see efficiency, we see lower attrition. Uh, And when you start bringing that data into the room, uh, then you're not doing this uh, because it's a good community activity, you're doing this because it makes business sense. Uh, And that then begins to also make a difference uh, to leaders in terms of how they're making decisions about uh, some of these issues around inclusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third is you know, treating inclusion not as only a gender-specific issue, but a topic in itself. Hmm. Uh, so what does inclusion mean? And I've learned a lot from some of the other organizations who've also done good work in this space is to, uh, to say that inclusion is often about a state of mind, saying, what does my mind do when I hear a different point of view? Hmm. Do I reject it? Uh, do I get upset? Do I get angry? Or do I get curious? And yeah. if I can reach that point of getting curious... Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is a way I can hold myself accountable to becoming curious every time I hear uh, a diverse point of view is when I'm truly inclusive. That's the starting point. So how do you help people go through that journey of starting to become curious, saying, hey, why did you just say that? You know, where are you coming from? Um, what are, why do you have this belief which I don't have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that curiosity is very important to as a fundamental to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, and something that I'm going to ponder on after this <laughs> recording. <laughs> so, um, and usually, um, at least what I've seen is when people talk about inclusion, it's mostly related to the workforce in the urban area, right? I would love to know if you guys are rolling out any strategies to um, have this inclusive policy into the rural area as well, if you're doing some grassroots work. So the most of the work that I spoke to you about is actually in... Um, 
uh, in remote areas, right? So, okay. uh, yeah. uh, of course, we do stuff for women at workplace at a managerial level. But as I said, that's a different problem to solve in terms of uh, women engineers or um, availability of uh, as many people in um, in the hierarchy for women in logistics sector. And we fix that. I mean, we we've uh, we've also looked at some very interesting ways to fix that and in, in the urban level, which is to um, actually look at saying you don't necessarily need an engineer to run a building what you actually need is someone who has strong process orientation mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that process orientation can come out of multiple different fields and we made those experiments because we are committed to actually bringing that diversity in so it actually requires that level of commitment to say yeah. I will make this happen and so what will I need to do to fix yeah. but most of the work that I spoke to you about was in buildings was at the grassroots level um, it's about you know everyday women in the workforce driving forklifts and delivering packages and um, you know stowing and picking and packing. So that's been the uh, the center of of the work that me and my team really focus on. Yeah. Have you seen any shift in the rural areas itself where they are even the families are pushing more and more women to go out of their house and work? I think intention wise, has there been a shift over the last twenty years? I think yes. Hmm. Uh, it would not be fair to say that we've not moved at all. Mm -hmm. uh, is the pace of change good enough? I definitely think no. Okay. Uh, and, and one of the reasons is you still have significant number of women who are not available to an active workforce. Yeah. Um, and part of that, I think, is, is, of course, corporates have a big role to play in this. Hmm. Uh, but for such a fundamental societal change, um, I don't think it's only about intentions, right? I mean, you, you, everyone has the right intention saying they want the, uh, women to be part of the workforce. Yeah. The challenge is around mechanisms. The challenge is around um, what's the infrastructure available to these women uh, to be able to manage some of their personal responsibilities uh, from a social point of view. Uh, because that's the reality of their life. So, you know, it's it's one thing to say that I will negate the reality of their life and then see what can I do to bring them to the workforce, right? Everybody uh, is not going to be a me who's able to, you know, uh, figure out saying, okay, my children will grow up and I will be at workplace. Uh, there are some realities of where they live. Is it safe to leave the child there? Uh, what will happen when the child comes back? Not everyone can afford a cook to say, okay, you know, they somebody will feed them. Yeah. So, how do I solve for those infrastructure issues? And I definitely see a far bigger role for society as a large mm. uh, regulators and governments, NGOs to play a bigger role here. So how do we leverage infrastructure like your Anganwadis? Um, how do we work very closely with the government to completely alter that infrastructure where uh, you know, kids can be uh, there once they come back from school, they have a place, safe place to stay, safe place to eat, um, which is inside of their community and not necessarily coming to a workplace to be with their parents, right? Yeah. Um, because even after the child is six, the sick child still needs attention. It's not like you can leave them at home and come to workplace. Hmm. Um, so how do you uh, create that long-term infrastructure hmm. uh, where a child can be left behind, Whether hmm. where you can have uh, community kitchens, for example, uh, hmm. so you could actually get women into workforce. I think there'll have to be a form of fundamental thought process if you want a massive societal change yeah. at a tier two or a, a rural uh, location. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when we talk about um, inclusivity and especially urban inclusivity, at least what I've seen, you don't see that many um, women at senior leadership roles, right? What is the responsibility of, um, you know, women or special or anyone, men, women, whoever they are, 
what is their responsibility in terms of making the workplace urban workplace over here more inclusive and probably being more sensitive towards what the gender equation is within their own teams in their offices or whatever that is there is a there's an organizational policy that's a different thing but on a personal level should people do more and if they should at senior leadership roles what are the simple steps that they can take just to make their own team and their, their immediate environment more inclusive i do believe role modeling plays a very very big role at leadership level whether you're a man or a woman i think when when you're sitting in as a leader uh, whether you're consciously seeking diversity on your team i think is a very simple step to take for every leader in india uh, to make that commitment to saying i will have uh, you know uh, women in leadership positions uh, Um, and i don't think the answer is through often mandates right i i know for example when the government said that you must have a woman director on the board mm-hmm. uh, then everybody goes after saying can i have that one woman director but yeah. the fact is it does it really significantly change number of women in senior positions no because it's probably been like uh, three people on 25 boards right so it doesn't really help uh, so i think it's actually about if if the idea is about having large number of women um, occupy senior Uh, positions uh, it's going to be about every leader saying i i will make sure that if i have reached a c level position yeah. i will personally mentor one woman to reach that position yeah. uh, you know in the next 10 years or in the next 5 years or in the next 4 years yeah. uh, if we just do that uh, i can see the number just going growing by leaps and bounds and if that's the kind of commitment we can do or that's the kind of social platform messaging we can do saying every person who holds a c title will mentor one woman to reach that position over the next 5 years uh, yeah. we will have a very different india yeah yeah and uh, swati um, what are your plans for the future and when i say future i'm not saying like 10 or 20 years from now but probably for the next 4 or 5 years your personal and your professional plans Uh, the personal is just to try and be a good mom i have two 5 year olds so uh, you know i'm learning a lot uh, as i grow with them again so it's a new role and i'm learning what it is to be a mother uh, so i think that will be the most interesting personal journey that i'll go through uh, yeah. being uh, being held accountable by two uh, you know two uh, kids at home yeah uh, from a professional standpoint i think uh, Uh, I I love what I do. I I honestly am not someone who's ever been fussed about titles or uh, you know roles that I hold. I always can find meaning in any job that I do hmm. um, and find ways to expand it and to grow it and I I love doing that, right? Yeah. So um I'm totally open to very different challenges. I'm totally open to whatever comes my way. Yeah. Um I think for me what will always matter is does the role provide me an opportunity to create an impact yeah. uh, with reference to people experiences with reference to community um and with reference to actually shaping the way in my own um in in my own sphere of influence shaping the way the world looks at issues that matter to community and matter to society Thanks for listening in and please subscribe to the show to catch the next episode. You can follow us on Instagram to stay in touch and get all the updates. Our Instagram handle is vision.nari. That's v i s i o n . n a r i. If you know a visionary that I should feature on this podcast, write to me at the visionary podcast at the rate gmail.com. That's t h e v i s i o n 
एन ए आर आई पॉडकास्ट एट द रेट जी मेल डॉट कॉम दिस पॉडकास्ट इज प्रोड्यूस बाई लॉन्चोरा अ स्टोरी टेलिंग एंड क्रिएटिव लर्निंग प्लेटफॉर्म थीम म्यूजिक इज क्रिएटेड बाई डायला स्वेन शी इज अ यूनिकली टैलेंटेड म्यूजिक प्रोड्यूसर फ्रॉम न्यूजीलैंड डू चेक आउट हर म्यूजिक ऑन साउंड क्लाउड और फॉलो द लिंक इन द डिस्क्रिप्शन आई सी यू गाइज सून विद न्यू विजनारी हैव अ ग्रेट डे